Hey kiddos, welcome to Dad Feelings, the podcast about fictional father figures and real-life dads with real feelings. We're fresh off Trek Month here at Dad Feelings, and we're getting back into the swing of things. Our topic this week is not a dad that I would have stumbled across on my own, so I'm always really grateful when people suggest father figures or actual dads to discuss on the show, and I'm even more grateful when those same people offer to come on the show and talk about them themselves. This week, I'm joined by Jeff Curran, who is a woodworker and freelance academic, and we are talking about uh, St. Roy himself. St. Roy. St. Roy, Roy Underhill of the incredibly long-running PBS show, uh, The Title has the Woodwright's shop, which is I learned a made up term. The term Woodwright, he made that up and decided to run with it, and it's been on that show for over 400 episodes. So, yep, 30 years. Yeah, well, thank you for joining me. No problem. I am always happy to talk about Roy. Let me tell you something that St. Roy thing, I know it's on his Wikipedia page, and I know it seems like kind of a joke, but that's like a real thing. Wow. (laughs) I I am a member of multiple woodworking forums where there are scripts that auto-corrects his name to St. Roy. <laughs> I love that. You are not allowed to talk about him in any other terms. And honestly, I, I would never even imagine it. That's incredible. And like, th- he is something of this larger-than-life figure. And I, again, I had not heard of him before you, you brought him to my attention. Um, and in many ways, he seems to me to be kind of a counterpart to, say, like a Bob Ross, who we have covered on yes. the show before. I, I, I've described him before as equal parts Bob Ross, Mr. Rogers, and Noam Chomsky. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's probably the, the best way to think about him. Uh, that, like, Roy Underhill is everything good about public television, and as an extension, everything good about public education, <laughs> which is something that I think about a lot because my first time watching his show and watching his show every time since, you kind of get a real sense of how hard it is to teach someone to do something via the medium of video. Mm. And the way that you learn that is by how incredibly good he is at it. <laughs> You know what I mean? And a lot of that has to do with like his aesthetic where it's all very simple. The Woodwright shop is, it's a show where they just kind of turn the cameras on and get out of the way. His show is like an instructional how to show. Right. But it's not like any of the like stand and stir cooking shows and stuff like that, that we've become accustomed to as to how you educate yourself via TV. He, they turn on the cameras and it's one take until he's done. And like whatever needs to be done gets done in that span of time. But there's no, there is a little sometimes when it's totally necessary, but there's not much like, Oh, here's something I prepared earlier, or here's a version I made earlier. He's always doing it in real time. And I think that's maybe the coolest thing about him. Yeah. Is that like, you get to understand the messiness of what it means to actually make things and not how how easily things can be produced by TV. Absolutely. Yeah, the feel is very different from um, from a lot of these sort of crafting shows or, or shows ab- about about making things. And, and again, yeah, it is kind of similar to to Bob Ross in that in that uh, sense where 
he starts with nothing and um, sort of takes you through this like 20 minute yeah. uh, trip of how to how to make something. Um, and yeah, I did, I did see um, when I was doing some research that they used to do like a few limited takes, but yeah. those takes were limited even when they did have multiple, uh, you know, takes and uh, and edits. Um, they were limited by like just you know he he couldn't just make dozens of these things like they weren't yeah. doing um pre pro to sort of make that easier and then now that it's just sort of the one take you can see like in one of the episodes I watched he's like out of breath by the end of the episode yeah that's that's one of the really charming things is that when he does a lot of work he's huffing and puffing by the end and you get like a real visceral sense of like the the nowness of the work you realize like this is a dude who has just done a very hard thing and it might be that hard if i do it but that's exactly why i should do it yeah i honestly like even just having watched a few episodes of the show like all today i've just been like do I really do I want to get like really into woodworking? <laughs> like you do. Trust me, right? You do. Everybody should. You know, the, the the thing that spoke to me first about Roy was that his first book, the uh, the Woodwright's Guide, Working Wood with Wedge and Edge. In the intro, he says something that has become like completely iconic to him, which is. I'm going to teach you how to start with a tree and an axe and make one thing after another until you have a house and everything in it. <laughs> and that just struck me as such like as such an important idea and Roy is being such a radical person where part of the reason I got into woodworking was because I don't know if there are many more radical actions that you can do in your everyday life than something like that where now that I have acquired these skills, I can, for example, I'm building myself a bed right now. And over the years, I might make modifications for it, but I know more or less that this bed's going to be around for 150, 200 years and will be the, the rest of my life. Mm. So I think that's very important. And that's an important part of Roy's character is that he's not just a woodworker, he's a hand tool woodworker. <laughs> where you won't really see any power tools in Roy's shop. And it's not necessarily because he's a Luddite. Um, he's not someone you could never picture using a smartphone, for example. But he sees the importance that I think a lot of people miss nowadays, whereas it, where he can see those old forms of technology as still being legible as mm. technology. You know what I mean? Where th it doesn't have to be the newest, flashiest, fastest way to reproduce things that is the bleeding edge of technology. Sometimes it's as simple as like figuring out how to use a hand plane in a new way can be as equally important a piece of technology. And the people who use those technologies aren't as venerated in our society, which is also a thing that I think he does a great job of explaining to people. Yeah. Yeah. And how, I'm curious, like as someone who is a woodworker and someone who has, has obviously done a lot of thinking about this kind of thing. Um, how, how would you sort of square uh, this kind of approach to something like um, the very high profile, uh, like maker movement of the last like five, five or six years, which to me, 
Um, you know, having done some research on that myself, actually, when I was in grad school, is um, does seem mm-hmm. very self-conscious, does seem very um, kind of uh, obsessed with the, the idea almost of like authenticity and of um, of ownership and of self-sufficiency um, in a way that is not really um, in a way that sort of ignores like the context in which those things are created, if that makes sense. I think I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and writing about this. And I think the maker movement is very, very cool and has a very radical kernel of potential inside it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And is also very much in danger of being corporatized and Mm co-opted like so many other movements in the past. And I think honestly to that end, Roy could be an important avatar towards that, (laughs) which is interesting to me because in the later seasons, like this last season just started a couple weeks ago and he did an entire episode about his pedagogy. Uh, it's it's about the Book of Sloyd, which was like a woodworking textbook from the 1700s. And in it, um, there was another thing he said in that episode that really spoke to me, where he said, uh, he's talking about doing manual labor. And he says, everybody goes off and does some kind of advanced job. But at one point, they worked with their hands and have respect for people who still do. And maybe that's how we get rid of this whole snobby class thing. So it's a really subversive idea. <laughs> <laughs> and like, sets it ex- as explicitly as possible as where these skills aren't just something that you like put on a resume Mm. that's not the the means to the end here the means to the end is to develop a respect for the types of skills that we overlook and have been disrespected as a result of i don't know capitalism mechanical reproduction itself Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it these things have certainly gone by the wayside a little bit and there is potential in bringing them back. Yeah. You know, one thing that I have noticed in some strains of, uh, of the maker movement and other kinds of movements to bring those skills back is that there is sometimes this current of um, (laughs) there's an appeal to a kind of uh, performance of gender yeah. Uh, that I don't find, or I, I haven't really found in my limited exposure to this show at all. Um, this no, is, no, no, he, no. he is, he is not interested <laughs> at all in painting this as like a masculine thing. Nope. Um, he has, has, female guests. has these female guests, um, has, uh, has his daughter who like is an accomplished musician <laughs> yes. and also uh, a woodworker. Um, do a musical episode at one point, which was incredible. Is the um, sweetest, one of the sweetest things I've ever seen in my life because he pantomimes what's happening in the song lyrics mm-hmm. as they're happening. And he, I read that he actually, um, the, many of those songs that were on that episode were existing Rose Underhill uh, songs that he yeah. rewrote to be about woodworking. <laughs> it seems like a very fun relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, that's something that I really appreciated was just like sure. how this is is such like a, a non it's, it seems like such a non starter. And even in the the episodes that I watched where he has, you know, another male guest on, it's this very like quiet kind of <laughs> yes. like 
like he has this he has this whole like cast of characters like like peters ross and fallensby christopher schwartz mary may all these people where it's really inspiring to see that like throughout a lifetime you can just kind of build these networks of for lack of a better term fringe people mm-hmm. who are all very nice and gentle and quiet and you can tell are really really good at what they do yeah yeah and i think um you know, I think one of the things that's really, really cool about a show like this is, um, you know, unfortunately, those those kinds of skills are um, are gendered still. Um, and I think for a lot of people, uh, their access to them has been limited by that or, you know, or they've been frustrated in their failure to to live up to them or um, embody those things. Um, but watching this show is like, oh, no, anyone can do this um like it it really you know it's not about this like about proving yourself or or anything it's just about learning to do a thing that that you might find joy in and that's the other thing that's great about his format and the aesthetic of his show is that he messes up a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know have you watched any episode where he cuts himself no but i read about it he's he cut himself with a hatchet or something oh yeah he cuts himself but by the end of every episode his hands are just destroyed and he just rolls with it but there are also there are a couple episodes where by the end like he's trying to do a joint and he hits something a little bit too hard it snaps and he just looks in the camera and he's like well that's all i got for you this week (laughs) (laughs) sometimes sometimes it's not gonna go the way you think and that's cool that there's no like that's not all flattened out by the production where, you know, if, if Bobby Flay burns something or whoever, there's 10 production assistants finding him one that looks better to stick in the oven. Right. Right. Yeah. So how many episodes have you watched? Um, I think I've watched like three or four. So, you know, I've, I've only made a dent in like this 400 episode run. Uh, like the show has been running since I think like 79. Yeah. 1979. Which is I, I think he was, he was probably about, the age I am right now when he started it, which is terrifying to think to think. And apparently like was not an easy thing to pitch, had to pitch it multiple times, even then. And finally I read this story where he was up in a tree dealing with a swarm of bees (laughs) (laughs) and said to himself, like, maybe this is the bottom for me. I can't, I can't get these bees and I'm going to hurt, kill myself. And then, like, <laughs> successfully wrangled the bees because, of course, he was the type of person that was keeping bees at the time. And, at, like, within 15 minutes of him getting down from the tree, the phone rang and it was PBS saying they had picked up his show. Oh, my God. <laughs> so apparently he had this real existential crisis in a tree and then everything worked out lucky for us. Wow. <laughs> There's a whole lot of, like, gray areas in his bio that i would love to explore (laughs) such as well apparently at one point him and his wife who is an actress just packed up shop and moved to the base of cheyenne mountain (laughs) wherever like the the darpa norad uh nuclear fallout facility is for like mm-hmm. high level government leaders and apparently they just homesteaded there for like a couple years and he'll, he'll reference it on the show sometimes he'll be like well my wife and i would 
come down to town once a week and I would sell furniture and she would sell goat milk and like craft she had made. And we had honey from our bees <laughs> and it just, it all sounds super chill. <laughs> he does seem like Roy's also an important figure for me because having been in activism for probably a decade now, I'll, I'll by the time this airs, I will probably have turned 30 And I remember when I was coming up, there always kind of being someone with Roy's energy around. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? That kind of someone who is the right age during the 70s to have radicalized a ton and stayed that way. And that's something I find really inspiring about him is the idea that, you know, you never have to turn square, really. You can mm. you can be strange and make stuff to whatever age you want. <laughs> and that's becoming more important to me as I get older and look around and, and those types of people are, you know, aging out of regular activism and looking around and being a kind of elder statesman myself and being like, oh, no, I'm the old weirdo now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, he I mean, it, it's it's kind of interesting, like, uh because the intro i think is like the intro to the show they've still been using yeah forever like it looks like it was shot in the 70s or 80s it was and he's super young and you see him like walking to his shop like he's like leaving like the city and crossing the street with all these people like holding briefcases and he's got like his his tool case and uh he makes his way to the shop and then it cuts to like the actual studio and yeah. uh, and he's still dressed the same, but he's like yeah. thirty or forty older. years older. Yeah, he's much older. Yeah, but he still looks basically the and, same. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's always been hot, and he still is. <laughs> is what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, he does seem to like physically embody that that sense of like you know you you don't have to stop doing yeah. this whatever your weird like subversive passion is and when i was like 20 i thought that was like the corniest thing in the world and now i just completely cherish it as much as possible (laughs) have you seen any episodes where he uh hides body pictures in furniture no (laughs) what (laughs) yes there there are a couple where he makes like chests of things and they always will have some sort of secret compartment and he will pull out like vintage erotica and be like oh i forgot i had this in there (laughs) oh my god he's just he's a scamp have you have you heard any of his great dad jokes um i did come across one where uh oh woof um I think it was uh, one of his guests was, uh, you know, drilling out a hole. Uh, and he said, this is a very boring show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> my, my personal favorite is sometimes he'll have a, like a foot powered lathe or any drill, any like tool that requires a lot of human work to power it as he's stomping on this treadle or as he's spinning this drill or whatever he'll look dead in the camera and go i guess it's alcohol powered (laughs) (laughs) and then just like give like a knowing smile (laughs) oh my god which is a thing i've heard about him he he runs his own school in carolina Mm -hmm. north carolina 
And I have wanted to take a class there forever because I have heard that after the class is over, he will just like invite you back to his house to get drunk. <laughs> and oh, that is that something that so I good. want in my life more than anything <laughs> in the world. <laughs> God. But yeah, even like the school, he ta- he talks about the pedagogy in really cool ways where apparently he set up in like this kind of tourist town in North Carolina. I forget the name of it, but he just bought like a storefront without any explanation. And anytime you read somebody a, a, like a report of somebody going there, they'll be like, yeah, we were all working and the windows face the street and people just wander in. And whenever somebody wa- wanders in, Roy will just like talk to them and spread the gospel as much as possible in like a really, really cool way. Wow. Where it's, it's designed to just have like foot traffic coming in from people who would be otherwise completely unsuspicious of it. Yeah. <laughs> So what else did you think of his relationship with his daughter? I want to know, like, everything about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm really curious. Like, I've, you know, like, his Wikipedia page is, like... It's kind of bare. Surprisingly sparse, yeah. Yeah. Um, And, like, to find out about his daughter, I had to, like, go to, like, her band's website. And even then, you know, you don't find out too much. But... um, Sure. Yeah, the musical episode is, like, incredible. And, like, I think it's something that you can watch even if you like if, yeah, if you're just gonna watch like yeah if even if you have no context and don't really know anything about this like i really recommend that people watch that episode because it's just like a good episode of like a musical basically yeah. um <laughs> yeah yeah no, he just, i know i just he, 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 he seems like such a sweet person and there's no like it's unimaginable to think that there would be like a roy persona and i that's also what i really love about him is that he is so clearly that way all the time yeah <laughs> that you imagine the cameras like it's impossible to imagine him even like getting up on the wrong side of the bed someday and just being grumpy for a while because <laughs> he is always just so jovial and like happy about his work that you really get to see firsthand of what it looks like when someone is doing the thing that they really love more than anything else and i think that's also really cool well and, and i think that's awesome where like I think it has an audience that is larger than the woodworking community where I show my friends about it all the time. And even if they're not into woodworking or making things or whatever, they instantly recognize a kind of kinship, I think, with the level of obsessiveness he has over a thing Mm. where it it doesn't matter. It's in a different world. You could imagine him being like a NASA engineer or something or or a different (laughs) kind of nerd. But it's just he chose this and has thought about it and talked about it for 35 years now. And that's the most important thing in the world to him. And that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, again, like parallels to, to Bob Ross there where yeah. um, I think it's the kind of show where like you don't necessarily have to be someone who is like following along or like wants to. I mean, it definitely it is like infectious in the sense that I think it makes you want to try. Um, yeah. But it, it has value even, like, um, beyond that as just, like, 
wow, this is just a guy who is just getting a lot of joy out of like, yeah, of doing this thing really well. He is just a charming dude, and you can watch it and appreciate how good he is as a TV presenter, even if you don't like any of the stuff he's doing, where I'm constantly amazed at how comfortable he gets his guests to be with his process almost immediately, <laughs> where it must be nerve-wracking to be on his show and to have him come to you and be like, well, we're going to turn the cameras on, and we're going to talk for half an hour, and then we're going to turn the cameras off. <laughs> and whatever happens between those two things is going to be fine, but I, I guess you just believe him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he does not use a script, which I thought was really nope. interesting. It's just sort of like one take, just like, let's go. Inspiring for all of us, I'm sure. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've read I've read. he starts prepping for episodes the night before. But at this point, he's done so many of them that it, it yeah. must be like second nature to him. That's what... So here's a fun confession. I belong to a woodworking streaming video site that has the full archive of the Woodwright shop. Oh my God. Yeah. So I could watch seasons from like, I can, I've watched like the first couple seasons and it's charming to watch him be like, not very good and kind of, <laughs> kind of still figuring it out. Because at some point, there's a, it's just a cool reminder that, like, you'll get better at stuff if you do it enough. <laughs> yeah. Which is a thing that I think, even in my own life, I've lost a lot sometimes where, you know, we all have like four or five careers we jump between nowadays. And to just see the long arc of that is really cool. To be like, no, if you just do this enough, you're going to get better at it no matter what. Absolutely. And he claims, I, I, I kind of find this a little dubious but he claims he's wanted to present woodworking on tv since he was 11 wow yeah no i read that he and he actually was i think training as an actor for a while yes yeah that's i think that's how he met his wife who's an actress i <laughs> if i remember correctly he did the thing that so many of us have done which is he was not very good at acting so he just moved into set design <laughs> And was one of like those people. And I think if I remember correctly, I have read that he still will do set design sometimes just to like keep his chops up at some local theater. Oh, wow. But yeah, he's just always had a, been a dude that had a passion for making stuff. As far as I can tell, it's like as, as simple and as complicated as that. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good place to wrap things up sounds good to me this is super fun and i'm again like i'm so grateful for you for like introducing me uh to roy Underhill i want to make it and... perfectly clear that you can go to the pbs website and there are i think at last count around 150 episodes you sh you can watch for free <laughs> and everyone listening to this should watch as many of them as possible <laughs> i absolutely agree we need we need to get that dad feelings bump <laughs> yeah no for sure for sure um yeah i think he should be as big in the popular imagination as as bob ross like get put some put him on on twitch get some streaming to stream all I'm the episodes and that's the thing i'm sure he would love it like he does not he's done ted talks actually one of one of the first things that i recommend people watch to him of, of his is a ted talk because he's so like perfect in the form where it's just half of one of his episodes basically 
And there's one where he he like brings a log out on stage, and as he's talking, he just starts chopping away at it, and like these huge shards of wood are just flying into the crowd, oh and you can hear like these startled gasps, and he's just like, oh, sorry, sorry if that hits anybody. <laughs> And that's just like the the perfect encapsulation of him as a dude, where he's going to be him and people should watch. Well, uh, thank you again so much for coming on and for <laughs> no introducing problem. me and everyone else to Roy Underhill. Cool. Um, and uh, do you do you want to tell people where they can find you online? Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm at Pure Strong Style on Twitter. Yes, awesome. Uh, well, I think that will do it for us this week. Um, and we will be back next week for another regular scheduled episode of the show. And until then, bye kiddos. Dad Feelings is hosted by Merrick Kay and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Dad Feelings is a part of Stay Me, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Stay Me at dadfeelings.com slash support. Our theme music is Swell Content by Speedy Ortiz, off their album Foiled Gear. Thanks to Car Park Records and Sadie Dupuis for letting us use it. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at DadFeeling and at StayMeanCo. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.